you to do that before the end of the month. If you at all can, there's a whopping big saving. It's 15 pounds a person. That's 30 quid for two people. Guys, you could have a good night out on 30 pounds and buy a new suit and new car and still have change. Well, in the 60s maybe, but not so much now. Yes, I'm back in time there. Okay. Now, seriously, um, do, do, I do encourage you to book early. It helps us with our numbers and it helps the organizers and it's really good cash incentive for you. We've booked. We're going. Look forward to seeing you there. It was a great conference last year, by the way. I mean, truly excellent. It's probably one of the best conferences I've been to anywhere, and I get to go all over the world these days, and it was still one of the best events I've ever attended any time anywhere. It was excellent. And uh, the excellent Pastor Oriel is going to be there from the Philippines, and the excellent Pastor Bray from the United States, and the excellent Pastor Cesar from Colombia. So really... It's, uh, it, it doesn't get any better than that, really, so um, awesome stuff. So I really can't recommend it highly enough. Now, today, our, back up there, right? today, our question is this. Can a person change? Can a person change? Well, let me say this to begin with. When Jesus came to the earth, it was to bring change. He did not come to leave the world in the state that it was in. He came to change things. He came to change situations, and even more, he came to change people. And when you read about Jesus in the Bible, you read about him going around, doing good, and bringing change to people's lives. And with that change, there was also a challenge involved and a commitment was called for. So our story today is about two people, one of whom changes and one of whom doesn't. So it'll come up on the screens and I'll read through it with you as you follow on the screen. So let's, hopefully we've got that there. Luke chapter 7 verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? But Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in 
peace. Let's pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come on us now. Reveal your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's just look at a few simple questions about this story to get into the subject. And the first question is this, which one of these two people goes home in a better state? The man or the woman? Which one do you think? The woman. You're right. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, if we work that backwards, this is what happens. She goes home in peace, this incredible state of inner settledness and well-being. Everything in my life has suddenly come new, just like Chris was sharing just now in the prophetic. Everything in my life has suddenly started to go right. Everything's been put into order. My money, my emotions, my relationships, my talk, my walk with God, my working life, everything's suddenly come into line. And that's happened uh, to me right now. And it's happened because Jesus said to me, go in faith, you've been saved. Saved is like the modern word rescued. It means taken out of one situation, like you're in the sea floating in a life jacket, and taken to safety and put back on dry land where you can't get in that fix again. And it happens because she had faith. She was willing to believe who Jesus was. Now, Notice one thing about her. In order to go home in that state, you have to be prepared to not bother about what people think about you. You notice everybody knew her and everybody saw her in that place with Jesus. And she was past caring about all of that. She was just desperate, desperate to get some help. If you've ever seen someone where one of their loved ones like has a medical emergency or an accident and they're, they're just desperate to get help for that person, they don't care who sees them, they don't care who sees them cry, all they want to do is get help for their loved one, their injured one. I was driving along the road one day and as I was going along, I saw on the, on, on the path three women walking along and suddenly the middle one just collapsed and fell to the ground as I was driving. So I, I pulled over somewhere safe, stopped the car, and went over and to see if I could help. And these two women that were with her were beside themselves. They were just screaming, help, help, what do we do? So all my best St. John's Ambulance first aid started to come out. It's a bit old-fashioned and out of date now, but we managed to stop her doing anything terrible to herself and get an ambulance and look after her there. But once you're desperate, you don't care who sees what's happening to you it's more important that you get the help you need. And that's what this woman was like. Now, when we're looking at both these people, we have to understand something about them. Both of them have issues. Both of them have problems in God's eyes. For one, it was very obvious. Everybody in the town knew about her. 
And for the other guy, it was obvious to Jesus, but it wasn't so obvious to him. And the reason is this. They were both doing things in their lives that were wrong in God's eyes. They were both doing things that caused God to grieve about them. They were doing things that displeased God's heart. And it caused God to really grieve deeply about the way they were living their lives. Now, when we do things like that, there's a special word in the Bible. It's not a word you'll hear so much today. Perhaps it's because people are not so concerned about grieving God or displeasing him. But when we displease God and we grieve him, the Bible uses a special word, and it's called sin. And both of these two people were sinners. They were doing things that grieved God's heart. There's this story that uh, a pastor told. He, he had this young girl come to his church. She was quite young, and she'd recently given her life to Christ. And she'd been out of state while she'd been out of town while she'd done that. And so on the way home, she'd, uh, she'd sought out a church in order to start to fellowship with and be together with Christians. And the church leaders weren't sure if she'd become a Christian or not. So they said to her, they said, well, now, were you a sinner? She said, yes, I was. And they said, well, are you a sinner now? And she said, well, yes, I am. And so they said, well, then what's changed in your life? And she said, well, before I used to run after sin. Now I'm running away from it as fast as I can. There's a difference. There's a change that takes place. And in this story, both of these people need deep down change. One of them sees it and the other one doesn't. One of them realizes the need for change and is so desperate, they don't care what anybody else sees about their lives. They, they've got to get through, and the other one doesn't see it at all. And is probably really bothered about what other people think about them. One thing we can say for certain is this, that for both of them, if they don't come to Jesus, neither of them will have a great turnout in their lives. For both of them, it's not going to go so well. In fact, you can pretty much say it's going to go bad for them, real bad. And it's the same for us today. If we don't know Jesus Christ, then I think I can say to you with a good degree of certainty, both from all the years I've read the Bible, from my own experience of life and being involved with other people's lives, Without Jesus, it gets bad, pretty bad. In fact, more than pretty bad. That's English, by the way. We English, we never say things are really bad. When we say pretty bad, we mean extremely, but we like to downplay everything. We like, we're very reserved, we English, aren't we? So if, if, if somebody says something's quite nice, that means it's absolutely fantastic. That's just in case you're learning English, you know, quite nice, pretty good. That means absolutely wonderful and fantastic. But I wouldn't like to get too excited about it because after all, I am British. But anyway, so here they are together with Jesus, these two. They both meet him and they both encounter him. 
they both get up close and personal with him. And only one of them has a really good outcome. Only one of them goes home truly forgiven and truly rescued and saved and in true peace and wholeness and well-being inside themselves, both for this life and for the next one. Now, why is that? Why is it that only one gets it? Well, here's my next question. This will help us understand that. What message was Jesus bringing to people? What was the message Jesus came to this earth to bring in order to change things? This is where I need my whiteboard here. See if we can get this up on the screens for you so you can see. Now, the Bible is a pretty big book, and it's been written over a long period of time. But at the center of the Bible, there is a core message or teaching. It runs right the way through the Bible, and it gets explained more fully at the end of the Bible, but it's there all the way through. And we call that message or that core teaching this. We call it the, the gospel. Now, that's a kind of older-fashioned word. Most of you will know that, but if you don't, the, the modern version of that is good news. This is the good news message. Now, can we get on the screen for the camera? Two minutes. Our technology is slightly behind time today. We're switching screens and so on. Now, it's important for us to understand this good news message and this core teaching. I hope that's not too shiny on there. Can we see? We can't read it. Dave's going to do something with a contrast and bring that down a bit. So, it's important we understand what the good news message is and how it works. And there are really, if you want to simplify it, there are three parts to the good news message. Well, the message has gone darker and so have I, so as long as we can see the message. The first part of this good news message is this. Recount. That is the basic information and details about the good news message. Now, I've called it recount because when God brings his message to us, it's not a series of sheets of paper with information on it that we have to learn lots of technical, boring, and difficult information. Some people think Christianity is like that, and when they go to the bookshops, they understand that some of those books can make it look like that. But actually, this is a story. The basic good news message is a story. It's a story about how God steps into our lives and rescues us from the mess our planet is in and the rest, the mess our personal lives is in. And here's the remarkable thing about that story. You're in it too. You might think from, well, how can I be in it? The Bible was written well before I was born. Actually, God knew you'd be here and your story is in that book too. And I'll show you how later on. You're part of the story. So I've used the word recount because this is telling a story. It's telling a story about your life. It's telling a story about God. And it's telling a story about how God brings your life together with his life through Jesus. And the whole thing stretched out over 1,400 years of writing is all about Jesus' life and your life coming together just like these two people uh, that we read in this story here. And so that's the first part of the gospel, the recounting part. 
The second part is response. There is a response to make when we hear the story. And how we respond is really, really important, and we'll say why in a moment. And then finally, there are the results. What happens when I respond to this incredible story that's called the gospel or the good news message? That is the core, the heart, and the center of the Bible, those three things. By the way, I could do a little extra one in here. Part of results is this one, reaction. How your friends and your family will react to you when you've responded to this incredible story that's being recounted for you. So there's a simple outline there of what uh, the, the good news of the gospel message is about. Now, here's some important things. If we don't get the right story or we don't make the right response, we're not going to get the right results. So let's look in some more detail about some bits of that so that we get the hang of this. Now, how does Jesus himself sum up his message. While we're thinking of that, if I were to come around with a microphone, I'm not going to do this to you to embarrass you. But... Thank you. I hope I'm not clicking now. See, this is why I went for low technology with the whiteboard. I mean, I'm old school here. The shadows. Well, actually, a whiteboard would be pretty modern technology for those days. It should have been a blackboard. But anyway. So... How does this work for us? How does Jesus sum up the story? Now, if I were to come round and ask some of us, what do you think the summary of this recount, response, results, good news message is? How would you summarize all of that? Or have a think for a moment. I'm not actually going to ask you because I don't want you to feel awkward or put on the spot. But then a naughty side of me might just do that to you anyway. So you don't know. I've got you guessing now. Is he going to ask us or isn't he? We'll see. Now, you could probably get a number of different answers from us in this room today. And if you went around many people in different churches and then you went onto the streets and asked people, no doubt you got a lot of different answers. Jesus loves me. Come and get a better life. Get some help in your life. God cares about you. Well, all of those things are true, but those are not actually the good news message. Let me share for you what the good news message is straight from Jesus. Now, I hope the the technology can switch between camera and uh, screen here. But um, here's a simple verse of the Bible where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's appeared to them after he's risen from the dead. He's with them in what we call the upper room or in Galilee. I'm not sure which one it is now. But he's with them and he's explaining to them what it is he wants them to do. And in Luke 24:47, this is the command he gives them. He says that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. That's Jesus' summary, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. 
Wow. Now, that starts with the word repentance. And you notice in this scheme I've got here, and if we can get back on the board now, Dave, and with your technology, Jesus doesn't sum up the gospel by telling us the story or the recounting part. He actually jumps into the middle here, and he says, if you want a summary of the gospel, this is what it's about. It's here in the response part. That's what I'm going to turn your attention to to show you what this message is about. And he uses this word, repent. Now, that's a kind of fairly older-fashioned word in these days. It's used in the Bible, but it may not be well understood today. So if you have a modern Bible, or you're a modern person, and you like all these selfie sticks and uh, all this kind of um, Instagram here and everything like this, Papakoshi's on there. Gosh, you're really up to date, Papakoshi. I'm well impressed. I was excusing myself for my, for my great age here, but, but you obviously have joined the young generation on Instagram. I'm, I'm so impressed. I'll have to repent myself in a moment. And Sylvia's there as well. Is this some kind of stitch-up this morning where you, you've deliberately got people older than me to show that, the, that I should get on Instagram or something like that? Okay, right, well, I can hear my own message too. Now, here is a modern version of that word, and that word is change. Change. Jesus said right at the heart of the gospel, right at the heart of this response past the gospel, is the word change. Change. Wow. Now, you'll notice what comes after it when we had the verse up there was, change for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, a lot of people say, well, when you come to Jesus, you ask him to forgive your sins. Actually, according to this verse and a few others like it, you don't actually do that. What you do is you change and he forgives your sins. Do you notice that the forgiving of sins is linked to the changing? Now, it would be much easier if we could have the forgiveness of sins without the changing. But the stress, the emphasis, is not on the forgiveness of sins on its own. It's on the changing that leads to the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is how this works. Because some folk will say, well, I can't even change myself. Good. That's what the woman in the story realized. She didn't have it about her to change herself. She came to Jesus knowing she needed to change surrendering her life, as we've also sung about this morning and heard about this morning, but not able to change herself. A few years ago, I went and asked a millionaire for some money, as you do. I mean, that's what people are millionaires for, isn't it? So it was, it was somebody I knew, and they had a trust set up. It was a Christian charitable trust, and I wanted some money for, a, for some humanitarian aid work in another country. And I thought that was a worthy cause. And what we wanted to do was make a publicity film to, to, to raise more money. So I got this guy on the phone and I talked to him. And then he said some words which I thought, oh no, this wasn't what I was expecting. He said, well, how much have you got already? I said, just a minute, you're the man with the money. I'm supposed to be asking you that, not you asking me that. But he said, no, 
See, when I go to my trustees, they will want to see what effort you've already made to try and raise some of this money. I hadn't thought about it like that. I thought I just asked you and you gave me the money. I thought that was how this thing worked. But apparently not. Apparently, I have to make some effort. So explain to me the way this worked, and I went away and did that. I went away, and I raised some money. And then I went back to him the next week when he told me to phone back, and I said, well, I've raised this much money. He said, good. Here's the deal. I'm going to take that to my trustees, and for every pound you've raised, then we're going to give you a pound. Well, now, that was an incentive to raise more money, of course. And in the end, I raised just about enough for half of what I needed, and he gave me the other half. And we got the film made. We got the job done and we raised some more money for the charity. And this is a bit how repentance works. This is a bit how change works. Change works when we, like the woman, come to God willing to change, knowing we need to change, asking for help to change, and willing to surrender everything in order to get that change. So much so, we don't care about what other people think about us or who they are or what's happening to us. We're just so desperate for change. That's why Jesus always called his disciples publicly. He called them to him in front of everybody. Now, if you're bothered about coming to Jesus in front of everybody, you're not ready for that change yet. But if you really want that change, you won't care who sees you because the change will be so much more marvelous than what other people are thinking. You'll just happily leave all of that behind in order to come forward and get that change with Jesus. Just like the woman. So, here's the thing. If we want to get the right results out of the gospel, can I have the board back on again, please, Dave? If we want to get the right results from the gospel life, it's important and essential that we make the right response. And if we want to make the right response, it's important that we hear the right story from the right source. Now, the source of that story is the Bible and the Word of God. There is no other source for that story. And there are plenty of people around today who want either some other source or the Bible plus. But there is no plus. There is just the Bible and the Bible alone. That is our authority to get that true, accurate, God-centered, God-given story. There's no other place. That's why for weeks we've been preaching you know, that the Bible is part of our foundation and values and, and core beliefs because that's where the story comes from. Now, the response we make, it's important we make the right response as well, because if we don't make the right response, we won't get the right results. Now, here's a curious thing. Churches should be full of people who are changing, and not just change once, but changing all the time. Now, why is it that that doesn't seem to be the case when you look at churches in general? Why aren't they factories, energy houses for change? Why aren't the people in them changing so much? Why isn't the society around us changing so much? Could it be that we're not making the right response? Could it be that we're not understanding the story well enough or we're not understanding the response that's required enough in order to get the right results? Because here, we should be seeing the right results if we do these two things the right way. Let me give you a little example from the passage we've read 
about the right response. When we looked at that Bible verse just now, it said, copy back to get it accurate, repentance or change for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Do you notice what happens there as part of the results? This message is going to be proclaimed in all the nations. Do you see that? Can you see that? It's changing you and changing me, changing people that results in something going to all the world. The story that's here now starts to include us in it. And the same things that happen to those people also happen to us, and we become part of the story. And we become part of the story because we, we witness to, we give evidence for the fact that the story is right and true, and it actually works because it's working for me now. And so we say, listen, this story happened to this woman and her life changed because she had this face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And do you know what? I've had an encounter like that too and my life has changed. I wasn't the same as her, but in my own way, I was in just as much trouble as both these people and my life had to change and thank God it did. I made my response to Jesus. He said to me, change for the forgiveness of your sins. And I said, Lord, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to go on changing. And where I can't help myself, can you please help me? I'll give you what I've got. And if it's not enough, can you match that with more power and more help and more funding from you so that I can change? And he says, yes, I'll match you pound for pound in your desire to change. And you can have all that you need to really be that person of change. And then when we've changed... It says the story has to go on being proclaimed to all the nations. Now, that's not just for the 12 people listening to this. They did their best. They went out a long way. They did impressively well in just a few years. But you know all of us are included in that story now. So your story gives witness to that's their story, and their story forms the basis of your story, and suddenly my story is inextricably bound up with their story. The two stories are are tied together. I'm part of their story, and their story is part of my story, and I'm taking that whole story. Now, what am I going to do with it? Well, I'm just going to have a nice life now. It says that we're going to proclaim that story of change to the world. And it's not just a one-off change. It's not just, I feel bad about my sin today, therefore I'm going to come to Jesus, and then my life will get better, and I'll carry on as I was before. This story is the beginning of an ongoing lifestyle of change. Now have a think for a moment. What kind of life do you really want? Do you want a life that partially changes? Or do you want the proper results from this message? Because it is an ongoing story of change. And part of that change is to tell other people. Now, this is why we take a bit of stick from some other churches. This is why we take a bit of stick for saying we are part of the vision group of churches or G12 movement. Because what we're saying at the heart of this message is this, that the message that we hear and that we respond to with change in our lives 
results in us changing and results in us being part of proclaiming it to the whole world. And a lot of people say, well, I don't want to take part in that last part. I'm happy to change, but I don't want to tell anybody else. Now, think about it for a moment. What are you telling somebody else? All you're telling them is your life story. Is that such a bad thing? I mean, most people want to tell other people their life story if people will listen. I mean, isn't that the the truth? I mean, isn't that what people do in bars and pubs all over the country? Oh, my life's so miserable at the moment. I've just got to... Anybody listen? You know, my wife doesn't understand me. I mean, people are happy to moan and complain about their lives and tell you their life story. Imagine if you were the group of those people who said, well, now it's my turn. Let me tell you my life story. My life story is completely different. It was just like yours until three, four, five, ten, thirty years ago. And then suddenly I had this encounter with Jesus Christ and everything changed and it's gone on changing. And I don't moan about things anymore because I've got faith in life that God's blessing me and prospering me and going to make things happen. Surely that's a good story to tell. Why is that such a big deal to try and get people to share their life story as part of the big story to other people whose life stories need a boost because their own life stories aren't so good? And apparently it is. Apparently it is. Apparently there's a lot of resistance to that. People say, I don't want to be put under pressure to share my story. Well, nobody's putting anybody under pressure. It should be natural to want to tell people about yourselves. Listen, most people like to talk at least some amount. And most people, when they're talking, like to talk about themselves. Have you noticed that? Girls, if you're trying to get a boyfriend, have you noticed that? I mean, boys do like to get talking about themselves once you can get them talking. Boys, if you want to get a girlfriend, don't talk about yourself. (laughs) Ask the young lady some questions about herself. How are you feeling? What do you like? Some of you are groaning, but it's true, isn't it? It works. That's all Jesus said. This story, one of the results is that we're going to proclaim this in the whole earth. Well, listen, let me tell you, that's what the G12 movement is about. And it's about saying that proclaiming, and by the word proclaim, means every way that you can express this story. It means if you're an artist, paint it. It means if you're a preacher, preach it. It means if you're a singer, sing it. It means if you're a worker, well, then work it. Do you know, we put on the screens here a few weeks, uh, a few months ago now, um, the story of uh, Alec Baldwin, Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, his brother, the actor who got saved. Do you know how he got saved? His cleaner was going around the house dusting and being happy. And they asked her why she was happy, and she shared the gospel message with them. She just said, I'm happy because this is my story. And this famous actor got saved, and he's telling everybody about it now. That's how this thing works. Now, is that such a big deal? Listen, if we have the right response and the right results, the telling of the story will be no big deal. But if we don't have the right response and we don't get the right results because we haven't heard the right story, then it's going to be a big deal for us. And I ask you this, is my life changing today? Is my life changing? Do I claim to have met him? Because if I claim to have met him, I will be changing. And here's another thing that goes with that. You see, As a church leader, my job to you is to do two things. Number one, be an example of somebody who's changing and who keeps on changing. And I hope there's some evidence of that. Because if there's not, well, then you better pension me off quickly and find somebody else. And number two is to come along to you and say, hey, are you changing? Is God changing you, John? Is there enough change in your life? Is he changing, Joy? That's, that's, That's where you get the real story, isn't it? 
You ask the man if he's changing, and then you ask the wife what's really happening to get the true picture. Change. You're in my team, aren't you? Change. Do you want to be in my team? Change. You're in my team? Change. You're my wife? No, it's, you say to me, change. Okay, well, that's different. Okay. Change. It's our job as pastors and cell leaders to say to you, change. Now, look, if you don't like somebody saying change you, I doubt whether you've met the right response here, and I doubt whether you've had the same experience as that woman who's really met him in that way, who's really given all for him. If you're bothered what other people think about you changing, I think you're probably more like the man in the story than the woman. Because this is a good news message. And the message is this, not can people change. The message is, am I willing to change? Because you can change if you are willing. Indeed, if you want to meet Jesus Christ and know him and walk with him, you have to change. Amen? There is no maybe I'll change in this and maybe I won't. Change is the only option possible for the Christian, for the one who's met him. Now think about those two people in our story to finish with. Which one of them changed? Which one of them changed? The woman. She had probably on the face of it the more obviously sinful life. She displeased and distressed the heart of God. But she changed. There's this girl. She gave her life to Christ. And her old friends asked her to go out clubbing and pubbing with them. You know where that leads. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't do that anymore. And they said, well, what are you afraid of? Nothing will happen to you. I said, well, my father. They said, are you afraid you'll hurt your father? She said, she said, no, this, oh my God, it's the wrong way around. There. She said, are you afraid your father will hurt you? She said, no, I'm afraid I'll hurt my father. That was the way around it was. She didn't want to hurt her dad by going out and behaving in a way that she knew would grieve his heart and soul. And the same is true for everyone who changes in Jesus Christ. We don't want to hurt our heavenly father and grieve him after all he's done for us in sending Jesus to die for us on a cross and forgiving us once we commit to this process of change. Now, you're going to get a chance to be me for 30 seconds now. How would you like to do my job? How would you like to have a go at being Pastor Clive for 30 seconds? I'm not going to ask you to take the offering. It's okay. This is all you're going to do. Turn to some two or three people around you and just repeat these words to them. Change. I'm a bit worried about it. Some of you are really getting into this, aren't you? I, I can see this is your excuse with your husband or wife or your friend. 
you're telling them to change. There's a lot of passion going on between some of the couples there. This is your moment. Well, I, I gave you your moment. You can say, listen, you get, you get total immunity from prosecution here in this building. You can say, change to each other as much as you like, and there's no comeback because the pastor told you to do it. Change. Now, who's, who's now wondering whether they've made the right response to Jesus? Who's wondering, did I hear the right recounting of the story to make the right response? Maybe this is, uh, who's sort of thinking, where's the results in my life? How committed am I to changing? How committed am I to changing? How much will I let my cell leader, the pastor, anybody, in fact, challenge me to change? I got challenged to change by a complete non-believer in my early months as a Christian. He adjusted one of my attitudes, and he wasn't even a Christian. In fact, he was a Sikh. I was in the hospital bed next to him, and he had a better attitude to what was happening to us in hospital than I did. And I thought, I'm the Christian. I should have learned from that. You know, anyone, any situation, God can use to challenge and change us to make us more like the results that we see on that board there, more like the results that there is in the gospel. Am I changing? Am I open to do things different? Am I open to have somebody say to me, is that the right way to do this? Is there a better way in God? Is there a way that doesn't grieve God's heart for you and your life? Am I open to that process? Or am I going to do this my way and that's it? Well, you can be like Frank Sinatra and do it your way. That was the man in this story. But the woman changed and she kept on changing for good. Let's pray. Does anyone want to make a response today to Jesus about change? Does anyone want to change here and be a person who changes? Well, here's the offer I want to make today. As we're praying and just before the Lord now, if you want to change, begin to tell God in your own heart, Lord, I, I want to be a person who's a changer, someone who changes, somebody who meets with Jesus who loves him and pours out all for him and realizes that I need to change. Now, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. This is entirely up to you. But if you want to be a little bit braver like that woman, you want to move from your seat to show the Lord Jesus you want to be a person of change, well, feel free to right now. You can move into the gangway. You can come down the front here if you want to. However deep you want your change to go, well, then move as much as you feel is appropriate. Remember, you're being like the woman now. This is for him. He is here in this atmosphere. He is here among us. And I want to say to you, if you've never given your life to Jesus... 
you've never had that meeting with him to change, well, you can come as well. This is your chance. Plenty of people here already. Nobody's going to pick you out. Instead, we're going to say, awesome thing to do. Wonderful. Just make sure you tell one of us afterwards so we can really encourage you in that good mood. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you today. You came in love to change us. You came to bring change to this world and change to me and change to us. Jesus, we invite you now. Come into our hearts and change us. Lord, if we've not got the story right and we've not got the response right, we ask you now, change our thinking. Change our understanding. Give us the strength that we don't have it to reorder our brains and our hearts and our spirits to believe the right story from your word. The proper story. The story that calls for change in us. Lord, give us that heart now. Give us that strength. Give us that breakthrough now to change in these things. And Lord, we'll pray. We pray now, help us to be people who want change, who expect change in you, who embrace change in you, and who love to change in you. Because changing in you is growing in our Christian life. That's what it means to grow in the Christian life, to change. Lord, help us now to change. Lord, I pray for every person who's come here now, for the power of the love of God to be on them. They could change like that woman. They would have so much love in their hearts. They would change for you out of love and understanding. You bring change, Lord. Bring your change. Lord, bring your change in Jesus' name. Bring your change. Bring your change now in Jesus' name. Total transforming change in life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, change. Change everything. Change my heart. Change my heart. Create me a new spirit. A new steadfast spirit. Jesus. Change for you, Lord Jesus. Father loves you. Life's in his hands. Change.
radical change from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray for your power in Pauline, a radical change because she's asking, because you're God. Lord, I believe you're speaking those two words in life, a radical change. Thank you. Let's come. for one more change before we bring this message to a close and that's part of the story I was mentioning there that it's our privilege to tell our story as part of the big story and to proclaim this good news message to the nations and if that's something you feel you've dried up in or never really got going in or really struggle with or you're worried about and you know you want to change more to be able to really encounter God in your daily life and then pass it on to others you know it's something the Lord wants you to do and you really aren't there with that right now I want to pray for you as well if you just want to raise a hand you could change in telling the story I want to pray for everyone who wants help to tell this good news story Father thank you right now for every hand raised Lord, I pray for everyone raising their hands. Help us to tell this good news story naturally from an overflowing heart like that woman had. Lord, let us just be so carefree that we'll be careless in a good way in front of other people. And we won't care about our reputations or the reactions we get as we recount the wonderful story that God has changed me and he's in the business of changing other people's lives just like mine. Thank you, Lord. May there be a change in us, in our mentality, in our motivation, in our experience of you, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Can I say as we go, you're not going out the door into the same world to be the same people. We're sending you out the door to go out there and change something this week. You are agents of change. The name's Bond, there's Molly Penny, 007. Well, you're an agent too, 0012. And your job's to go and change some things. Not just to change some things in your own life, but change things in the world out there. Can I encourage you today as part of our response and part of our results, change in us, change out there. Go and change something for God, for good, for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go and do what they did in the Old Testament and the New Testament rather. These men have turned the world upside down and now they've come here as well. You can do some kind of upside downing like that if you want to this week. But however big or small the change, go and change something this week for God and make a difference and commit to being a person of ongoing change. The gospel is change. Amen. Amen. Say that to somebody twice and then we're finished. The gospel is change. The gospel is